This is the Steelers Standard on Steelers Nation Radio and Podcast on Steelers.com. Steelers facing the Vikings on Thursday night football. Steelers' only Thursday night football matchup of the season. They typically get one per year, right? I think every team has to get one now, at least. Oh, really? Just because of the, you know, there's a Thursday night football game every week now. That's true. So, and we're, we're starting, I think this week is the first week of Saturday night Not football. this week. Next, Next week, week, I think, is the first week of Saturday gotcha. football. You have to respect the troops this week, and you can't go over Army and Navy if you're the, the NFL. So gotcha. respect the troops. You play football on Saturday the following week. There's some really good Saturday football games coming up, too, which is nice, especially Christmas Day. Christmas Day, you got the Browns and the Packers, which, I mean, we always love watching the Browns here in Pittsburgh. That's going to be interesting. And you got the Colts and the Cardinals, which mm. five weeks ago I was like, wow, Cardinals are going to smoke them. But then it's like, well, the Colts are pretty good that. now. So Kinda I think right that's now. a pretty good game, honestly, for a nightcap on Christmas Eve. Indianapolis is so a, hot right now. Have a little egg. So hot right now, Indianapolis. So hot right now, those Colts. Little eggnog, a little rum in the eggnog, a little Colts, like and, little Colts and Cardinals. I do like eggnog, but I'm not like a rum and eggnog guy. Like, I like just straight eggnog sometimes. That's fine. Do you like rum and eggnog? I, 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 like, I like a little spice. little hair in the dog. Holidays. I yeah. like it. I like it. little uh, cozy up on the couch. Watch a little Colts Cardinals with some spiced eggnog. I love it. A nice little fireplace, maybe? I, ooh, ooh. Oh. Don't light it yet, though. We're, we're no. not, it's not Friday. We're talking Steelers, we're talking Vikings, little matchups that the Steelers need to exploit, need to take advantage of. I think offensively it starts with riding Najee Harris, and they haven't been riding Najee Harris as much lately. I think they're worried about you know running him into the ground, hitting that rookie wall. The problem is, though, they don't have any viable options behind him. They've been trying to figure out if it's going to be Snell, if it's going to be Balazs. I think there was some hope that it could be McFarland at the beginning of the year, but injuries kept him on the sidelines for the first four or five weeks of the season and ever since he's been able to come back it's really only been utilized in the kick return punt return game when he has to when Ray Ray's been out and he's gotten a couple carries that look like he's running faster than any man has ever run on the face of the (laughs) earth and he still only gets like two or three yards but it, it looks good when he runs the football it just doesn't really go for anywhere so they haven't been able to find that second fiddle running back Maybe it's Benny Snell. Maybe you saw that last week where he had two rushes for positive yards both times against the Ravens, helped down the stretch. But that's something that I think needs to be looked at in the offseason, first of all. You need to have someone behind Najee Harris. It's got to be two running backs in the NFL these days, especially if you want to be kind of a ground-and-pound type team. And everybody's going to be like, well, the Titans don't do that. Derrick Henry's a freak, all right? It's, it's, you can't compare anybody to Derrick Henry and how they use him. You need somebody to help spell Najee Harris. And this year especially, I think it would have been so useful because not only is he hitting a rookie wall just naturally, the dude has been hit more than any running back, I think, in the NFL and still continues to gain four or five yards after contact, carrying piles week after week. It's going to take a toll on somebody. It's going to take a toll on his body. It's going to take a toll on anyone. So I get that he had a really good game last week against the Ravens. He had over 20 carries. So, you know – why not just keep trying to ride him? I get worried that as the season continues to progress and progress, and on top of that, it's a short week right now where he's trying to recover from that physical game against the Ravens. I think you need to have some Benny Snell, some Kenny Bellage in this football game step up and give you some positive yardage because 
if you can keep Naj fresher than usual, especially later in this game, you're going to need him to ice this thing out. It's probably going to be close based on who we're playing. The Vikings do not play anything but close football games. So you're going to need that running attack later in the game. And if you can keep Najee somewhat fresh by having Snell get a carry here or there, Balaj get a carry here or there, I think that's huge in a game like this. And quite frankly, Benny Snell, Balaj, they should get positive yardage against this Vikings rush defense. They're 29th against the rush. They give up 131 mm. yards, 4.7 yards per carry. And 90% of the runs against the Vikings go for positive yardage. So I think even if you have a Snell out there, if you have a Balaj out there, there's no excuse to not being able to gain three or four yards with those guys. Why wouldn't you? I mean, these guys are capable of getting you at least two or three yards. And then we <clears throat> excuse me, we know how many yards Najee Harris Najee Harris is capable of getting on any play, any given play. So yeah, I think now, even though you're attempting to make this playoff push and when you're doing that you want your best players on the field right and of course Kalen Balaj and um, Tony Mack and Benny Snell are not your best players that you have at the running back position but given that Najee Harris has had this much contact has played this many games so far into a year uh, approaching I believe we are approaching week 14 week 15 now Tom so he has reached his maximum number of games he's ever played in a season right in high school at, at Alabama he only played in 15 games uh unless even if he didn't sit out one of those games against maybe the Citadel or whoever that Alabama's was an easy schedule game he oh, only had to play oh he might have played only a half but he ain't sitting out Saban doesn't sit anybody out no no but <laughs> he, he's certainly playing when they're once they're up 52 to nothing at halftime then he can rest no, he's running the ball even harder no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, he probably he, did get a little He's reaching rest. his wall, yeah. and it's unfortunate because it's it's just not the time where you want him to be reaching that wall because you need him out there on the field. You don't want him to be this tired at this point of the season. But given the state of your offensive line, what you've the 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 effort and work you've made him put forth, you can't expect him to not be tired. No, through, through 15 weeks, through 14 weeks, battling. Fighting harder than he ever has had to in his career, his entire adult life, to get just positive yardage, it, it's 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 been a real battle. It's been a real test for him. Najee leads all rookies with 1,166 yards from scrimmage, and he's second amongst all rookies in touchdowns scored. Last week against the Ravens was Harris's sixth game with at least 100 scrimmage yards despite all of that the Steelers run the ball just 36.6 percent of the time there's only five offenses in the entire NFL that run the ball at a lesser clip than the Pittsburgh Steelers I'm gonna guess Tom I know it's Tampa Bay have a combined like seven wins on the season well well I know one of them is Tampa Bay but like other that, than Tampa that Bay, makes sense because you have a prolific quarterback and you have so many weapons and that number is is getting better for them too yeah, just like one, we saw last year. You know why? Because they know what time it is. They know it's, it's December. They know it's playoff time. football. You run the ball in the playoffs. You run the ball in and December. Ask New England. <laughs> ask New England how much how much they favor the run. That was disgusting, though. I mean, that was just disgusting. Do you see everyone making fun? Not, I guess not making fun, but everyone pointing out that uh, Bill Belichick wore a Navy mask. Uh, walking out uh, onto the field to start the game. Oh, his dad coached at Navy. So. And, and what does Navy love to do? They love to run the football. 
and everyone said he he gave you the offensive playbook. He he wore it on his face, and you still couldn't beat it. The Bills should have been no. The Bills should have been embarrassed. I mean, two hundred. I mean, Mac Jones attempts three passing. Uh, passing plays, and they still are able to run for over 200 You yards. know it's coming. I mean, so what, 10, 12 times in a row where they run the ball to start the game, you're still like, okay, they are, this play-action pass is coming. So, like, I got to stay on my P's and Q's. I can't sell, stop the run. But then as it's in the second half and it's just <laughs> run, 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 like, you know it's coming. They only gave up 14 points, so it's not like they did a terrible job. But 222 yards on the ground. Come on, guys. You know it's coming. Wish the Steelers would do a little bit more of that, though. 36.6% is just way too low as far as the percentage to run the football. Well, let's also be honest, too. The offensive line they have in New England is better than the one they have in Pittsburgh, and that's evident based off of the yards per carry that you saw out of uh, Damian Harris, who I think averaged 11 yards per carry. And I'm forgetting the other guy, the new kid, who I think Ramondre averaged— Andre Stevenson. Who averaged, I think, about six or six and a half yards he per carry. He had 21 carry. of the carries, too. He had the majority of oh, the yeah. workload, so— I wish the Steelers would, though, a little bit more. That's a too-low clip to be running the football, mm-hmm. despite the fact that Roethlisberger has been really good in his past seven games. He has not thrown an interception in six of his last seven starts. And we know we know that one was against Cincinnati where he threw two. He's thrown multiple passing touchdowns in three of his last four games. Uh, and in his last three Thursday night games, folks, a little nugget here that will make you feel good, Roethlisberger has thrown 12 touchdowns, to just zero interceptions. So he's averaging four touchdowns to no interceptions on his last three soirees on Thursday night football. So Big Ben likes the Thursday night football lights. Big Ben likes the short week. Big Ben's weird, man. He does better when he doesn't practice. He does better when he's off of a short short week week, and he doesn't have to practice. I mean, he's just a polar opposite of what Kirk Cousins is, who's a total creature of habit, needs that 1 o'clock start on the East Coast. Right, cannot, cannot do cannot West Coast. Show up for cannot do West, Thursday night right, football. Right, right. It, Any it, primetime game. It screws with him. It right? screws it with his was, mental. Didn't he start his career like 0-12 on Monday nights or something? Yeah, and I the think... The worst start to any NFL quarterback's career? He's so regimented and so, you know, I do this, I do this, I do this, I do that, I do that. He's superstitious almost. That these games with weird times, I think, can really F with him, whereas we just laid out with Ben, it's the exact opposite. Ben Roethlisberger thrives in these kind of opportunities, and I don't think he could be expected to really go out there at any given week and throw for four touchdowns and 300-plus yards, but I think it's starting to become the expectation now that he's not going to turn the ball over. That Cincinnati game aside, where one of those picks was Chase Claypool's fault. I mean, he just totally did not. Ran the wrong he route. ran the wrong route. It was supposed to be a back shoulder throw, and he just continued to fly up the sidelines. So easy interception there. And then the Mike Hilton one, that's a play where, in his mind, Ben thinks he can get the ball there because he has for 15, 16-plus years. He just doesn't have the zip anymore. But he just anymore. doesn't have the zip anymore to do He doesn't it. have Josh Allen with the wins in Buffalo. So he's got to learn that he can't make a throw like that, and he probably <laughs> did. He learned the hard way by – Mike Hilton taking it to the house for a pick six. So I think it's safe to say, though, despite those two plays, he's not going to turn the ball over. He's not going to throw an interception. And that's really the main thing you wanted from him heading into this season is become kind of a bit of a game manager, Ben, in your elderly age. Just continue to protect the football. If we go three and out, let's make sure we punt so we can help the defense in the field position battle. Don't give him a short field. Don't throw bad interceptions. He's done that all year long, and for six of the past seven games, hasn't thrown one single interception. So 
I think that's something we can expect out of him now. Not the, you know, four touchdowns on Thursday night football, 250-plus yards, light it up. I'm going to single-handedly backpack to a victory. Can't expect that anymore, but I think we can expect him to not single-handedly lead to a defeat. No, I don't think you would. You would. I don't, I don't have that expectation. I didn't have that expectation last year either, Tom, when he was number one in the NFL of getting the ball out uh, from snap to release, right? That's just what he, that's just what he does now. And that leads to less sacks, and for the most part, that leads to less turnovers. And that's all you can ask for out of your quarterback. Don't hold on to the ball too long where it leads to a sack, and don't make the wrong play uh, where it leads to a turnover. And he hasn't been doing that each of the last two years. And as you pointed out, other than the Cincinnati game, he's done a really good job of doing that uh, in the second half of the season. Now... Deontay Johnson has really emerged as the number one target for Pittsburgh Steelers. I think Deontay Johnson is emerging not just as a number one guy in Pittsburgh, but as a number one guy with national attention. After over his past four games, this target share has gone from 26.5 to 29.6 to 35.9 to 36.7% of the targets against the Ravens. So in four weeks, his target share has gone up almost 10%. And I think that makes sense because... He's starting to establish himself as, I'm the guy who's always open. I'm the guy who, there's more upside when I have the ball in my hand than any of the other wide receivers on the team. And I'm the guy that's got the shortest hands right now on mm-hmm. the football team. So By far and away. I mean, yeah, you had one bad drop. And but he made up for bad, it. But he made up for it with a monster second half. He made up for it and then some. And, you know, I think that's so encouraging with him because I think what happens last year is you're young and you drop a pass, especially a pass of the magnitude of like the one he dropped against the Ravens. I mean, that's an easy touchdown. Probably the best throw of Ben's day was that pass to Deontay Johnson on right, the deep ball. Right on the hands. Right through his hands. Right on. I mean, it just it was you perfect wor- placement. You worry that that's going to snowball, and I think last year it did, where if he had a drop in a game early, he dropped, he, excuse me, he dropped a couple more passes because it was in his head. Now he drops that pass. I mean, it don't get much worse than that kind of a drop. That's a for sure touchdown in your hands and a big splash play of a touchdown too. Huge momentum changer. And you just drop it. I worried, oh boy, is that it? Here comes the snowball. He's going to have a couple drops in this game. Maybe he'll have a drop throughout the season now because of this. But no, he completely shrugged that off and had a monster second half, like you said, catching two touchdowns, going over the century mark as far as passing yards are concerned. I mean, the guy completely shook off that bad drop, and that's the growth that we were hoping to have from him. It's the growth that we got from him because he is now a guy who's got confidence in himself, and that goes a long way as a receiver. It's what you've seen out of him ever since, I think, that Buffalo game, right, where – Weeks leading up to that Buffalo game on Sunday night, everyone was saying, Deontay, you're dropping too many balls. You're dropping too many balls. And then what happens on that that first possession alone? He runs the wrong route, and then he drops another ball, and he gets benched. And I think ever since that game, Tom, he has just become a new person. It, it, the drops are no longer associated with him. The only thing, the only reason drops are associated with his name is the fact that he doesn't drop the ball anymore. Right, he is as sure-handed as any receiver in this league. Yes, guys are not going to make every single catch, and of course, we were ripping out our hair watching that ball go through his hands in the end zone 
when the Steelers were already down. I think the score was what seven to nothing at that point. So your offense is in nothing that entire first half, and all of a sudden you're for a split second you think we're about to tie it here after doing absolutely nothing. This is a miracle, but the ball drops and you come away with only three points. This guy really, yes, it, we 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 all had flashbacks back to 2020 when that ball was dropped, but immediately those those memories were forgotten because the huge second half he had, over 100 yards, just off of seven catches alone, two of which went for touchdowns, one of which was the game-tying touchdown That, er, in addition to that two-point conversion. Just an incredible, incredible performance by him. This guy knows when, when he is called for, he knows it's for a reason, and he knows that he is capable of stepping up, and he always does step up when asked to do so. Pat Firemuth, he's caught a touchdown in four of his past six games. Still, he's only eclipsed 44 receiving yards one time this year, and he only averages 29.4 receiving yards per game. So not really a threat as far as the middle of the field and getting you up the field, but once you're in the red zone, once it's time to score some touchdowns, there's no one better to go to than Pratt Firemuth. He also caught the two-point conversion. That was huge against Baltimore last week. That helped win the Steelers that football game. So... Patty Fry, he's going up against a team that has really limited tight ends. I mean, TJ Hawkinson twice this year, George Kittle, Mark Andrews, they already played. All those guys combined only have a total of like 140 yards receiving against the Vikings. So they do a really, really good job against the tight end spot. A lot of injuries that they have to deal with on that Viking side of the ball. But still don't expect Fryermuth to have much fun in the middle of the field. But once he gets into the red zone, there's no better target for Ben than number 88. Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> we just talked a lot about Deontay Johnson being the sure-handed thing for Ben Roethlisberger, but you look at what Pat Fryermuth can do from a tight end perspective, and we we all made the mini Gronk comparatives or comparisons in the offseason, but it's starting to become real, right? This guy is just that safety blanket for Big Ben, and we know how much Ben loves to <clears throat> excuse me loves to just make his his sure-handed passes that are short that are. He doesn't have to put a lot of zip on the ball. He doesn't have to put a lot of air on the ball. And that's where Pat Fryermuth is available to him. And it's not just once he gets the ball making the effort to make that catch. It's what he does after, too. He is a tough guy to bring down. And you see that a lot. There are several plays, and you can look to just this past week against the Ravens, where he has a lot of open field. And a lot of tight ends are a little slow off the catch. They're a little wobbly on their legs but he just knows catch the ball turn around and and just start running and he will get you to that first down and like you said Tom that that two-point conversion he had I think pointedly a great play by him yes he he had a wide open look to the end zone but still I don't know if you rewatched that play Ben didn't put that much zip on the ball it looked like Pat Frymouth was waiting a while for that ball to get to him, but as soon as he made the catch, he made the football move and just ducked toward the end zone and made sure he was getting in and made sure that two-point conversion was made. And like you said uh, in a previous episode and earlier just now, with the Baltimore, or I'm sorry, with the Minnesota Vikings potentially being without their two starting line, middle linebackers, that could lead to a big day for Pat Frymouth. Looking at the defensive side of the ball, Minnesota likes to operate out of 
21 and 22 personnel more than the usual amount of the other teams in the NFL. 21 personnel, they run 18% of the time. 22, they run 8% of the time. League average in those categories is 7 and 3%, respectively. With Thielen's sideline, those packages could go up to with multiple tight ends and multiple running backs on the field. They like to use C.J. Ham, their fullback. They're a bit of a throwback team as far as using that fullback is concerned, I think. Steelers Nation's kind of wishing that Derek Watt was used more like C.J. Ham is, sure. but C.J. Ham's a little bit of a different character than Derek Watt is. I hate to say it. I love Derek Watt. Great special teams player. Oh, he makes it play on special teams almost, almost every, every week. single game. But you're going to see a lot of Ham in front of Madison, and when you see that 22 personnel on the field, buckle your chin strap and get ready to stop the run because 86% of the time that the Vikings are in 22 personnel, two running backs, two tight ends on the field. They run the football. So you see those two tight ends and those two running backs, you could pretty much expect it to be a run. Steelers did a good job stopping the run last week after abysmal job stopping the run the weeks prior to that. I think it, I think it starts and stops there again. I know you're facing a backup running back, but Madison, you know, in the five games he's had to start in Dalvin Cook's absence, he's got 522 yards. So he averages over 100 yards per game when he's a starter for the Vikings. So you're not facing off against some slouch. Some, you're facing no, no. off against someone who would be a starter on a couple other teams in the NFL at that position. He so. might be a starter next, or whenever he becomes a free agent. It's very it's very possible. Uh, he's a guy, if he gets to the market, teams that need running backs to kick and tires on him for sure. Minnesota and Dallas are two teams that are going to need to evaluate the running back room very soon. So I, I think that it starts and stops with stopping Madison and making sure that you make this Vikings team one-dimensional because – yeah, they want to pass the ball anyway, but with only Justin Jefferson really healthy and Thielen not there, and people could be like, well, there's more than two wide receivers. No, there's really not for Minnesota. 47% of the targets from Kirk Cousins goes to either Thielen or to um, Justin Jefferson. So, yeah, you can say K.J. Osborne, you can say Conklin, you can say D.D. Westbrook all you want. Those guys don't do much for this offense, so... I say stop the run, force them to throw the ball, and they really only have one real target as far as who they're going to target in the passing game is concerned. So make sure you get off the field, or, or not make it off the field, make sure you keep them in second and third and longs by not letting Madison get out in front and, and run the ball on you. And I don't know, maybe this new front, Montrevious Adams, I'm sure is going to get some more spin this week, and Wormley really stepped up against the Rams. Sure did. Maybe this is the formula. Maybe it's Adams, Wormley, and Hayward. Maybe they finally huh. have found the jigsaw pieces that work. Well, it worked last week. It's only worth a shot to try it again this week. I think right now Adams is your best option at nose, but it's such a weird thing to – to cycle through because you've had so many names on that defensive line who have played this year, and it's just been peace and plug, right? There has been no experiment that's really panned out at this point, and that has a lot to do with equally uh, talent and availability. You know, we knew that the number two, the top two guys behind Alu Alu, uh, Stefan Tuin, and Cam Hayward were Isaiah Bugs. And Carlos Davis, but both of them have been unavailable uh, at different po at different parts of the season. That you've had to do this carousel of names, including Chris Worley, and now as of last week, um, Adams. So I don't have any problem with saying if it worked last week, try it again. But if it starts slow and you're not stopping Anthony Madison or Alexander Madison rather, and the the 
the Minnesota Vikings are winning that line of scrimmage battle when it's their offense against your defense, then yeah, take one of take one of Wormley or take one of Adams out and and try something else. But as of last week, you know, there's no reason to say, well, it worked last week, so let's not go with it this week. Coverage is going to concern me this week as well. Joe Hayden, obviously, status yes. still up in the air. Not sure if he's going to play. Akella Witherspoon did really well in his first start as a Pittsburgh Steeler. So I expect him to get the start again. Kind of the same thing you were saying with Adams up front and Wormley in that unit. If it worked last week, start with it this week and see if it works again. And then if Witherspoon gets exploited like he had earlier in the season, you can go back to James Pierre and at least he, he's he's been out there before. At least you're not without James Pierre because of injury, and you're going to Witherspoon, and then you're going to whoever else is behind him. Minka, I think, is going to have to shade towards Jefferson mm-hmm. a lot of in this game. Yeah, of course. Another factor why Thielen being out helps, because if Minka had to shade no all the way over there. does he have to just hover and decide which guy does he want to target on that play. Well, even that, I would think that the Steelers would probably just say, Minka, you got to take Jefferson more often than not, which would leave Thielen pretty much exposed a lot in this game. So Mm. thank God if he plays, he's not 100%, and he probably won't play either. But their best protection against the pass is probably the pass rush, is probably getting to Kirk Cousins before deep routes from Justin Jefferson can fully develop, before he can get the ball out to his playmaker, Jefferson. So T.J. Watt, Cam Hayward, that pass rush, Alex Highsmith, it's got to come, and it's got to come correct against the unit that only gives up 1.5 sack per game. So they really protect Kirk Cousins well. I don't know if they've faced a pass rush like the Pittsburgh Steelers this year, though, because A, it's the number one sacking defense in football right now, and B, the number two sacking defense in football is their own defense. So they mm-hmm. certainly aren't playing that every week. So, And they definitely haven't faced off against somebody – of the caliber of a T.J. Watt. Uh, they did play Miles Garrett, so Miles Garrett would be kind of in the same league, but T.J. Watt's a lap in Garrett as far as his production oh, is concerned this year. Here. kidding me. So T.J. Watt is going to be a handful for Brian O'Neill. If Darisaw can play, it's going to be a handful for Darisaw. I mean, he's a problem, and I think he needs to be the best player on the field, just like he was last Sunday, if the Steelers want to win. When T.J. Watt plays a full game, Jacob, and he's healthy, they're 6-2 and two this year. When he is missing games or has to leave at halftime, which he has four time, which he has twice this year, mm-hmm. leaving at halftime, and he's missed two other games, they're o three and one. They need T.J. Watt. He's the straw that stirs the drink. That's why Ben Roethlisberger is making the case for him to be MVP, most valuable player. Yes, and he is for the Steelers the most. He'll win team MVP for sure. I mean, there's no question in my mind about that. You have to give it to him, right? Yeah, you have we to. said it's earlier maybe Cam. Not, you give it to Ben in his last year. Eh, no, forget that. If anybody, it'd be Cam. But sixteen sacks is sixteen sacks. You I mean, can't, you can't ignore out, it. I mean, throw this. This discussion is over. He's going to be a Pro Bowler. He's going to be the first team All Pro. It's just he's going to be the defensive player of the year. I'm saying it right. Will here. he be screwed, Tom, for no. the third year in a row? Nope. I don't know. No, I don't think because he can. again, we, I mean, we pointed it out in our previous episode earlier this week. He. Miles Garrett is getting no. is somehow still getting more attention. Not anymore. I think you it's think so? I think it's been passed now because 16 sacks, Jake, and now it's the talk of Strahan's records insight. So I, I think Watt's going to definitely take the deep boy. Watt and Reggie White; those are the only two players since sacks became an yes. official stat in 1982 that have recorded 13 or more sacks in four straight seasons. He's been the best outside linebacker in football for four years. 
He's been probably the best, or you could argue the best defensive player in the league for four years. They gotta have number ninety step up big against the Car- or Vikings on Thursday. I think he will. And I, one thing I want to keep talking. Well, about, Well, the TJ. only games he doesn't play well in are the ones where he's coming off the injuries. The Packers game, the second Bengals game. That's when he didn't look human. Or that's I'm, when he did look human, excuse right. me. I'm sorry. So was he injured last week uh, against Baltimore? No, and he was a freak. That's and what so I'm saying. so are you telling me he's still healthy? He'll be good, I think. Oh, I think okay. He'll be so what does that mean? T.J. Watt got three sacks, three and a half sacks last week. So. It's funny, too, to think that 6-2 and two record in games he's played, those two are Packers-Bengals where he's definitely not 100%. No, absolutely So 100% not. T.J. Watt is 6-0. 6-0. Oh. Yeah. And I think that adds to your value a hell of a lot. And... I I know we still have time before Thursday night, but just talking about him, it it makes me instill so much confidence in this team that if he's out there 100%, I could say, yeah, I could see the Steelers winning this game. Well, we got to make our picks now because this is it. This is it. We're doing some power rankings on a later episode, so talking some NFL. So I'll make my pick for this game. I think the Steelers are going to win this one in Minnesota. I think so, too. I think the Steelers' defense is going to show out again this week. Vikings are just way too injured, honestly, for me to mm-hmm. have confidence in them. On both sides. It'll be yeah. a really close football game. I think it'll be another one score, maybe one point game even, back-to-back weeks for the Steelers playing a game like that. But I think they get the win, and I think they get to 7-5-1, and one, and I think they're staring at a playoff spot right in the face because that win against Baltimore was just – that was the turning point. You lose that game, and you're pretty much done. But you, you win, win that it, game and you can and you're rally. back in it and yep. you gain momentum and here you are with a potential second win in a row to add onto your schedule. I agree with you, Tom. I think the Steelers win this game too. Do you have a score? Yeah, I'm gonna go twenty three to twenty one. And I think wow. it's gonna be twenty one to twenty late Minnesota and Boz is gonna be the hero. So I got Steelers twenty three, Vikings twenty one. Wow. It's gonna come down to that, you yep. think? I think it's gonna be that close. I mean the Vikings don't play any other game but games like that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, and the Steelers, for that matter, don't play in many games like that either. They get blown out by the Bengals, but other than that, they're always close. They are always close. I'm gonna also go with a Steelers win here, but I'm gonna go Steelers 24, Vikings 17. So it's still a one possession game, which is again the only time, the only type of games that the Minnesota exactly. Vikings understand how to play. That's going to do it for this episode. Steelers Vikings Thursday night football in Minnesota. Steelers trying to get to. Seven, five, and one, and keep pace in that wild card and keep pace in that AFC North race. For Jacob Recht, I'm Tom Offerman. As always, we appreciate you guys giving us a listen, and we'll talk to you on the next Steelers Standard.